Good morning and welcome again. We are uh, great to have the Robinsons with us again. If you came in late, some of our new missionaries we've just added within the last year or so, and they are from Antioch Church down in Waco, Texas, which is where my son and daughter-in-law attended when they were at Baylor, so I have that commonality there. Well, we're coming to the end, and I think probably some of you thought it would never end, the greatest story series, uh, God's Unfolding Drama. I broke it into three acts, if you remember. Let me review these just briefly. The first act one was uh, the prologue is Genesis 1 through 11, and then the promise God made to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 12 that he's going to make him a mighty nation or build a mighty nation of him. And the story, then Isaac, Jacob, 12 tribes down into Egypt, the people grew down there. God delivered them and began to build a nation. He took them to Mount Sinai where he gave them a culture. Uh, they left from there and then he gave them a land. He gave them leaders as judges. Uh, he gave them a prophet. God wanted to speak directly to them. They wanted a king like everybody else. You remember Saul, David, and Solomon. The apex of the kingdom was during the time of Solomon. Then the divided kingdom and it was never the same again. It was just... Uh, never had the former glory that they had during the time. The captivity, Captivity A, was uh, Assyria. Next slide. Uh, Assyria was the northern kingdom taken away in 722. The Babylonians, 586, I think it was. And then this time where they kind of were restored, and then we have the 400 silent years between the Malachi and the coming of Jesus and uh, Jesus coming, and then he ascended into heaven. And that ended the Israel being the channel of redemption. And then we see this, the transition into the church. Israel drops down. Israel is now waiting. And we see here the, the, the book of Acts. The 12 disciples were the seeds, just like the 12 sons of Israel were the seeds of the nation. They're the, they're the seeds of the church. We see the Holy Spirit coming in 3,000, and God began to explode the church. He persecuted them in Acts 8 so they would go and do what he wanted them to do. We see the barrier broken down in chapter 10 with, between Jews and Gentiles with Cornelius. And you and I as Gentiles today are part of God's plan because the church is God's channel of redemption today just as Israel was in the Old Testament and the old economy. We are a part of that today. God is building his kingdom to the end of time and uh, to Act 3. And these are my acts, Act 1, Act 2. Today we get to Act 3, and we're going to work our way through Act 3 and two parts this week and next week, the end times. And so um, I guess I would begin today by talking about what I did with uh, the epistles, and that is... Um, why do, we, why do we need this end times piece of the puzzle? Why do we need this eschatological writings all through the Bible? Uh, the big question or one of the questions is, why do we need this? Why do we need this? Why do we need the closing of this chapter? Well, I'm going to take the same approach as I said with, as I did after, you know, we had the Gospels and then we had Acts. Why didn't the Bible stop there? Why do we have the epistles? And we talked about why we needed them. Because salvation is not the end game, it is the opening gambit. It is not the finish line, it is the starting line. Sanctification, the being changed, the being conformed, transformed in the image of Christ, like Romans 12 was one of our key verses for that. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your lives as a living sacrifice, 
holy and pleasing to God. And this is talking about this, this being in Christ, in Him, that we see all through the epistles, that this, this, this very intimate relationship where we, we not only know about God, but we truly know God and we're living out our lives in God. That's what the epistles are about. You see all through the epistles, in Christ, in Him, uh, in God, all of this, this in God relationship, this yielding of our, our whole lives to Him as sacrifices, this is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. By renewing your mind, then you will be able to test and prove what God's will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so we see the need for the epistles. We need this. So we get to the book of Revelation. Why do we need Revelation? Why do we need the, the, the prophetic writings that we see in other places? We see in Daniel and other places in Scripture. Why do we need them? Is there a reason? And I'm going to try to build a case for this today, just as I did for the epistles uh, last few weeks, uh, that I think we really need, we really, really need all of this to come to closure. We need the end of time. And, and I think there are three reasons. One is found, well, let's look at these verses in, in Romans 7, verses 22 through 25. And I'm going to build my case, and you just listen with me and see if it makes sense to you, see if these dots connect for you or not. This is a difficult passage in Romans 7. You, if, if you've read the scriptures, you know this, where Paul is talking about this struggle. For, I delight, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of sin, of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I, myself in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. What he's writing about here, and what commentators talk about and have different ideas about what, what this victory is and what it means is, but and I don't want to get lost in that, but I want to just say this. You have a dual personality. I don't know how to break it to you. I mean, you know, we have Christian counselors here during the week. Maybe you need to talk to them. No, we would all go because we all have it. That is, there's a part of us, there's a part of us that's been made new in Christ and we're, we're trying to serve Him. But you also have this struggle within you. The Bible talks about it. It calls it the flesh. It's, it's the part of us that still wants to Sin, it's part of living in this broken humanity that we have. And here's the great Apostle Paul writing about this. He says, I have this struggle inside of me. You have the same struggle inside of you. I do within me. Why would we want to be stuck here? Why would we want to be stuck like this, with that struggle that we have. Wouldn't you want something better? And the whole plan of God, which is always, there's always unity to the plan of God, and there's always progress to the plan of God. And God is taking us to a place at the end of time where we're not going to have the struggle with sin anymore. A place where we have a, a future life, a future body incorruptible in the end times 
gets us there. So why do we need the end times? We need it. Why, why, why are there the end times? Because you and I need it. We need to get to that place where we don't have that struggle anymore. And that's what's going to happen there. Second answer is found in Romans chapter 8, the very next uh, chapter, Romans 8, 19 through 21. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the, its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. All creation groans and struggles right now under the curse of sin. And as you know, if you study science, it's all running down. This universe is running down. It is decaying. That was not God's plan in the beginning. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. We see the, the curse of sin. And, 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 you know, we always think a lot about Adam and Eve. We think about how they were impacted about this, where, where work was a pleasure before, and now there's thorns, and there's thistles, and there's weeds, and all the things that work against us when we try to achieve something in this world today, this physical world. All creation groans under the weight of this. All work is harder than intended. And we have all these things that go on in our world today, our physical world. We have, we, have, we have weeds, and we have poisonous spiders, and we have fire ants, and we have earthquakes, and we have tsunamis, and volcanoes, and floods, and hurricanes, and tornadoes, and lightning, and sinkholes, and landslides, and avalanches. I don't think that was ever part of the plan of God. We live in a broken, decaying world. And God wants to bring all this back to a right place, to a new, renewed world that's perfect, that has none of these things. You have an insert in your bulletin. They have a couple of inserts in there, but one over there on the white one, it says the story of earth. It's just pretty simple here. Original creation, then the curse of sin, and we lived on a cursed earth today. The earth's going to be renovated by fire. Don't ask me to explain how that's all going to play out. The first earth is going to pass away, and the new earth is going to be established. And it's going to be complete, and it's whole, and it's going to be a lot like it was in the very beginning. So we live in a broken world. So the, the rationale for end times, we need it. And secondly, this physical earth needs it. So it doesn't groan anymore. And you hear the groaning and lightning and thunder and earthquakes and volcanoes and tsunamis and all of that. That's this world groaning under the curse of sin. There's a third reason we need all of this and we have all of this. It goes all the way back to Genesis 12. God made promises to Abraham. He made promises to Israel. And if you remember in Act 1, the nation of Israel was God's channel of redemption. When you get to Act 2, God takes Israel, and Israel is in a place of waiting. Remember the, the Romans 9, 10, and 11 where it talked about we as Gentiles today are the wild olive shoot, and we've been grafted back into the tree. But one day, one day God's going to bring Israel back into his plan. One day there's going to be a mighty revival and restoration in the nation of Israel You see, God made promises and God keeps his word. Hosea 3, 4, and 5 says this, For the Israelites will live many days without king 
or prince without sacrifice or sacred stones without ephod or household good. But afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Isaiah 59 says this, From the west people will fear the name of the Lord, and from the rising of the sun they will revere his glory, for he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. And one more, Isaiah 60, verse 3, Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Ezekiel 37 says that the dry bones will live again one day. And all these promises are yet to be totally fulfilled, but it's all tied to the covenant that God made with Abraham. So this consummation, these end times, all of the book of Revelation and part of Daniel to bring to uh, this, this completeness to the story and to the journey and to the mighty drama of God. Why do we need the end times? We need it for us because we don't need to live in this struggle forever. We need to be delivered for this. The earth needs it and Israel need it, needs it and God's promised it. So question number two, do we know when this is going to happen? The answer to that is yes and no. The answer to that is yes and no. Um, say, Pastor, you know the Bible says nobody knows the the day or hour. In fact, it says that in Matthew 24, 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So no one knows. But yes, I do know. I told you that when we were in Romans 9. Do you remember uh, about how the, the whole part of us wild olive branch Gentiles being grafted in God's tree? And it says this in Romans eleven twenty five and 26. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until what? Until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And I quoted you some crazy number that day, and somebody took me to task on that later and said, is that the real number? No, it's not. It's a made-up number. Um, but there is a number, and in that way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. There is a full number of Gentiles that God knows. I don't know. You don't know. There's a full number of Gentiles where God's going to bring them 1,750,000,000, I don't know. It's going to be a number that God's going to bring in, and then Israel will be saved. Then Israel is brought back into the plan of God in Act 3. God brings them back into his program because God keeps his word and he keeps his promises. And he made promises and he prophesied this in the Old Testament about the nation of Israel, what was going to happen with them. So it's going to happen when the full number of Gentiles are said another way. It says it this way in Matthew 24. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. So the trigger for end times, hear me, is going to be this full number of Gentiles being saved and the gospel being preached to all nations, which I think those are kind of linked together. So when that happens, 
And God in heaven alone knows exactly when that happens. That's when it's going to be the trigger for the end times. Now, I think we're moving toward the last days because I see uh, so many things happening with the nation of Israel. Uh, the nation of Israel has been rebirthed after almost 2,000 years. Uh, in 1948, on May the 14th, a specific day, the nation of Israel was established. You know, the, you know God prophesied this thousands of years ago. What does it say in Isaiah 66, 8? Who has ever heard of such things? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country, listen to this, can a country be born in a day? Or a nation be brought forth in a moment? And on a day, the nations declared that controlled Palestine on May 14th, 1948. On one day, the day before there was no Israel, that day there was an Israel. The nation of Israel was established. You can look it up. Under great pressure, there's great anti-Semitism. All the nations that surrounded Israel, the day that it was established, they all declared a state of war against them. That's how the nation began. So you, you, you think, well, the Israelites are kind of paranoid. No, they're not. <laughs> they're realistic. They live under that pressure. They've lived under in a state of war to some degree ever since they began. Jerusalem's been restored to the Jews. The desert is blooming and blossoming. That's a fulfillment of Isaiah 35.1. The Hebrew language has been revived. That's a, that's a fulfillment of Zephaniah 3. The Jewish people are returning to their homeland from everywhere. And there's a strong Messianic Jewish movement of Jews who acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah. All this is bringing us toward the end times. One more handout on the white page that had the story on the earth on the back side it has the 70 weeks of Daniel for you you uh, prophecy buffs uh, let me read this to you from Daniel chapter 9 if you want to look it up Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 through 27 Daniel chapter 9 beginning in verse 24 Now, let me set the context for this. The, Gabriel, the, the, the angel Gabriel has come and he is talking to Daniel and telling Daniel these things. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. No one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven he will put an end to sacrifice and offering and on a wing of the temple he will set up an abomination that will cause desolation until the end that is decreed 
is poured out on him. Now I'll explain all of that to you. I'm going to give you an overview of all of that. How about that? That's a lot more realistic. The 70 weeks of Daniel. Uh, the context the context is that this prophecy was given to Daniel during the Babylonian captivity. Again, this was after the kingdom had peaked under Solomon. There was the divided kingdom and they got hauled off into captivity. God is going to be restoring the nation to a small portion of its former glory. Okay? He's going to do this. So during this time, God always had a remnant of people. And one of those, one of those people that he had was... Daniel. God moved King Cyrus's heart to send them back. And the rebuilding back there is this first week of years. And that's on your sheet there, the rebuilding years. It should be 49 years, not 45. 7 times 7 is 49 years. That's the first seven weeks. And then there's four, 434 silent years. That is the 7 times 62 that's the 7 times 62 that you have on your chart there. Or if you can read it off the screen, I don't know if that's big enough to read. 62 years. And that brings us up to the point when Jesus was rejected by the Jews. And we are now in the church age and it is time of waiting. Now during this time, Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. And we're in the church age. And then, after the full number of Gentiles are saved... And the gospel is preached to every language. We're going to have the end times. And that's the seven years that are the 70th week, the seven years of tribulation, the triumphal return of Jesus that we read about in Matthew, excuse me, in Revelation 19, and then the establishment of his kingdom and the millennial reign of Christ. There you go. That's it. Now, I'm flying high. I'm not giving you all the nuts and bolts because I don't know the answers to all the nuts and bolts. I'm just, I'm telling you, I'm going to give you answers to some of the big questions. I'm going to leave some of the minor questions for you to figure out on your own uh, if that's what you need to do. I, um, I'm going to talk about this one more week and then we're done with our greatest story series. But I, I want to encourage you because I think when we look at this, and let me say this, um, take, take these sheets and peruse them and get what you can out of them. Um, I, I'm a very practical person, so I'm like, okay, so what do I do with all this? Because I've studied eschatology and I've read books about this, and, and, and I'll read one book and, and, and everything makes a lot of sense going kind of in this direction. I'll read another book and everything kind of makes sense going in a different direction. So I'm, I'm flying high, and I'm staying the big picture because I'm telling you, there's, you, you go to the book of Revelation, you read something there, and, and, and you, then you read 10 commentaries, and you'll come up with 12 different ideas of how it's going to play out. So what that says to me is, is that there is enough, there's enough grayness in all this for me not to land in a very black and white way in some things. So I'm giving you the big picture pieces that I think are pretty clear cut and I'll stand in some places where there are differences of opinion. But for you in your very real world where you're living today, what does all this mean? Well, I, I want to leave you with, with two big thoughts of application. The first one 
that should affect how you live. The first one is, God is in charge. Do not fear. All the stuff that I read about in prophecy is given to us so that we will know that God is in charge. God is in control of this world. God has his plan. God is working his plan. No one, no one, no one can stop the plan of God. And it's going to all end well with his mighty victory over Satan and evil and sin and death with his mighty victory taking all of his children home to be with him. Second, be inspired to live for God now. You know, I, we can get so caught up in the end time stuff and thinking about all that stuff that's going to happen and get all lost in that. Let me just tell you, you have one day, God gives us life one day at a time. What it should do is inspire us to live so that if he comes at 3.30 this afternoon or 4.30 on Thursday afternoon or in 2020, whatever it is, that we're living like he's coming. We're living to be ready when that time comes. Live ready. You don't know when your day is going to come. You might die or, God, or Christ might return. You don't know. So there ought to be a sense of, of this, this reality. Yeah, I know this story is being worked out, but I don't want to get so lost in that story that I miss the right now. Don't wish away the present. Don't wish away the present. Live the journey. Enjoy the journey. Be fully engaged in the journey today. Because, my friends, it's all we have. It's all we have from this side. Now, I love looking at it from God's side and seeing all these things He's going to do. But from my individual side, I have today. My calling from God is to live for Him today. To honor Him in every area of my life today. To be sensitive to the nudges of the Spirit today. Now, I always want to say this, that, you know, some of you may, when you hear about this end times, you're thinking about being around the throne of God, and maybe you're wondering if you're going to be there. You know, that's, that's the big question. The big question is, am I right with God? Do I know God? And as always, if that's where you are in your journey, if you're not cert, absolutely certain about that, that you're going to be, when God calls His children home, that He's going to call you too, that you're going to be one of those then I'd love to chat with you. If you are his child, live for him. Uh, it's, it's, you know, life is crazy, 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 and it's so busy, and it's so easy to be caught, get so caught up in the whirlwind of life that we miss, we miss God in the moment. We miss God in the day to day. So stay faithful with your quiet time. Stay in the Word. Stay in prayer. Uh, stay involved in your small groups, stay involved in church, stay involved in these things, not because they're the end, but because they're the means to the end of keeping us vitally engaged with our Lord Jesus every day. May God help us. Let's stand together for our closing prayer. Don't forget to stop by the Robinsons table after the service today and, and meet them and pick up some info from them. We're glad that they're here and uh, we want God's blessing on them. Father, work in our hearts. Lord, there may be some that need to take that step to yield their life to you. They never have. They're still kind of looking in the window, wondering about all this. 
Lord, for many of us that know you, we, we, uh, it's easy, so easy to get caught up in the whirlwind of this life and the things that we do and, and busyness and family and jobs. And, and Lord, but we want you to be in all of that and we want to walk with you through all of it. So may we seek you, may we yield ourselves to you, and may we humble ourselves before you every day, moment by moment. To the end that one day we will be around your throne. We will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. We look and long for that day until Jesus comes, we pray. In